The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. Archie, all right? Archie and the Riverdale gang were a pure and fun-loving bunch. You can't find dysfunction in those comics. They were just flat-out wholesome. Archie and Jughead were lovers. It's true. That's why Jughead wears that crown-looking hat all the time. Be the king of Queen Archie's world. I feel a hate crime coming on. Oh, you know, he does have a point. Archie never did quite settle on Betty or Veronica. Because he wanted them both at the same time. He didn't choose one because he was trying to get them both into a three-way. Yeah. What? I want you to go down to the corner store and buy yourself a clue. London, it is Thursday, June the 18th, 2009. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM, where we will be with you from now until noon. No, no, not right wing, just right. To black and white Under the bedclothes Everything will be and welcome to the show today where 519-661-3600 is the number you can call if you want to join in our conversation today. And today what we're doing on the show is we're going to be talking about the whole world of comic books. And it's no secret to anyone who's been a listener to this show for a long time that I was a big comic book fan when I was much younger. And certainly their influence on me personally. I can now trace as one piece of a larger puzzle back to those influences that have, in general, led me to be doing a show like this in the first place, as strange as that might sound. Certainly the ideas expressed in comic books are generally expressed in far more black and white concepts of good and evil than is the case with uh, most media. Therefore, as a ground for moral conflict, comic books serve a function that few other media can approach really in the same way. Thus, we have the whole genre of superheroes and sci-fi in the comic book field, and which, as a result, have certainly made their way into the mainstream media, including movies and television. We'll talk more about those aspects of the comic book genre in the second half of the program, but before we get to that, apparently it's true, Archie is getting married, and that's the event that has precipitated the show. Now. Is Archie's getting married just meaningless trivia, or is there a greater symbolism and meaning behind these unprecedented developments? And why do so many people appear to care so much? We'll be addressing all of these very important issues in just a little later in the show, but first, let me begin by introducing you to two of my guests joining me here in the studio at CHRW today. Now, it's no secret we've been friends for a long time, so it's a bit weird, a little bit of a weird experience for me on a couple of different levels, but Today, joining me in the studio are Gordon Mood and Carol Vandenberg, who own L.A. Mood Comics and Games, located at 350 Richmond Street, downtown, between King and York. Good morning, guys. How are you doing? Fine. Good morning. So, um, before we get into the whole Archie thing, and the reason we're even doing that is because I saw you guys on A-Channel a couple of weeks ago, and you were in one of the lead stories on the whole Archie thing, which caught me by surprise, and I was a little bit surprised at some of the reactions. We'll be hearing that a little bit later in the show. But um, tell us a bit first about what's L.A. Mood uh, Comics and Games all about. I know like, uh, when I was in the comic book, you know, my own interest in it was a long time ago. 
And I feel like I'm in another planet now when I see what's going on in the comic book world. So who wants to start? Well, yeah, it's Gord? it's changed a lot, of course, in the last, well, 20 years, just for beginners, uh, not just in the uh, uh, artistic department, but also in the uh, the commercial aspect of the, uh, the business has changed a lot. Uh, since I've been in the business, we've uh, been through a change in uh, how the, uh, the, well, the price, uh, the type of paper used in, in uh, the comics, uh, the distribution of, of the comics, uh, the ownership of all the companies. Uh, so there's been a lot of changes that have occurred just, well, especially since you started uh, or were collecting at one time. Oh, so. I can imagine. Um, you know, even when you say the paper, you know, when I look at old comic books, part of the collectability of them, you can smell that old newsprint. You know, it almost has a nostalgic smell about it. You ever get customers say that to you or anything like that? Oh, yeah. Yeah? yeah. And, well, and, and I mean, you can... Do you they can miss it? Or is it still there? Do they still print on newsprint at all anywhere? Well, Not really. A newsprint's pretty much gone. It uh, is, eh? Pretty much. Oh. So it's all printed on... There, like there still high is... quality, slick paper kind yeah, of thing? Yeah, more or less. Uh, yeah, there's sort of a... A medium between magazine and uh, newsprint, so um, mm -hmm. that's kind of the standard there th that they're at nowadays. Um, you can see the. Uh, now you brought some samples here. Yeah, which there's of course we can't Captain show America number six hundred. Oh man, man, that's not like the Captain Americas I used to have. That so you just take a look inside, and you can see that they've oh. uh, updated the, uh, oh, the quality man, just, of the just, paper. Just pure color. I mean, it's just amazing. Yeah, plus now all the coloring, I think, is done uh, largely uh, by this computer. Is, this is amazingly glossy. Um, stunningly, it just stands out on the page, doesn't it? Oh, all yeah. this artwork. And we'll certainly be talking about the art aspect of it later in the show. But this thing, like, it weighs a bit. And how much the cover price on here? Uh, well, it's probably five ninety nine. <laughs> $5 U.S. $5. Man, and I used to think it was a lot when they got up to around $0.35 cents and $0.50. Cents. To give you some idea of <laughs> where I was. Well, this is an anniversary issue. Oh, so it's, it's double-sided. Yeah. Oh, okay. Or double-sized gotcha. and, oh, and you're bring, you're bringing the fancy <laughs> stuff in. I get it. Okay. So what has really changed in comic books? In, oh, I noticed you got some Archie there. We'll talk about Archie a little later on. But uh, just generally in the comic book industry, besides the change in the product, the marketing seems really, really different. Um, when I was a kid, the only place you could get, if you wanted to fill in your gaps and stuff, you had to go visit all the stores around town that you knew carried certain comics or certain titles. And, and if you were a collector, that's how you did it. And I noticed you guys have a whole, whole bunch of services and, and things with your business. And I just, you know, I go in there, holy cow. It's almost like learning the Internet. <laughs> What's this? Uh, some of this. I see you here. You have um, subscription service for new comics. You just uh, well in the uh, older days, mm -hmm. people would go to the newsstand and go every month and pick up their comics. And now um, specialty stores uh, carry them, and then we offer a subscription service. We we pull those comics, hold them for you. You come and pick them up. You don't have to come in every month or well, um, you know as often to make sure you don't miss your comics so we offer that saving saving that issue for you oh man i wish i had a service <laughs> like that i could have saved myself a lot of driving around town and what does it mean when you s it says you're an authorized i don't even know what this means c g c member dealer is that well okay um right now a lot of comic books are sold online mm -hmm. and especially on ebay and uh, uh a lot of people uh don't agree on uh the objectivity of grading. 
upgrading so, what? Uh, the, the comic books. Oh, that's uh, what these so are. That, that is a third-party uh, company that grades the comic okay. books and encases them in plastic. Now, I've seen these hanging out on your wall in the store. Yeah, so that's uh, graded at 9.2, which okay. is a near-mint condition. This is a copy of Avengers number 10, 75-cent cover price. Yeah. And it's inside this plastic container, which has been sent out to... It's been yeah. sent away to, it, a, it to an independent... Uh, who pays for that service? We do. Uh, our, our store pays for it. And it's so included in the price of the product then, or well, in some way. If we sell it, or people can bring in their old comics to us, and or we send them away. Or are these rated in advance? That's, is that no, how it's well, done? Or no, no, we'll send them away to be graded. They're graded in Florida, actually. Is a that company right? in Florida, CGC. So they're sent down there. People look at them. Uh, there's an independent, almost like having an auctioneer kind of appraise, appraise them from a distance, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And then they send them back, and then the person can know what would be a top rating. If this a is 10. A 10 is... 10 out of 10. Yeah. So, so 9.2 is considered a near mint, but uh, uh, a 9 is very fine plus, etc. So there's a, there's a whole 10-point grading system. Well, involved. I know a bit about comics. I'm looking at this one. I can't see any creases in the, you know, on the spine, which I know <laughs> used to be a real problem. If you ever did that, it devalued. Oh, I used to hate it when somebody would go and grab one of my comics, and then, you know, they'd bend it backwards <laughs> to read it like that. Just destroyed the thing right there, you know. There goes all of its value. <laughs> or not all, but, but a good bit of it. And you're also, uh, what does this mean, Friday Night Magic? You actually have magic going on? Well, we on? do also sell games uh -huh. uh, as well as uh, comic books, so that's one of our... Uh, um, weekly gaming events that we have at the store. Oh, so so magic actual is a activity card game. and, and, yeah, and uh, oh people yeah. people come in and play. Yeah. But wow. comic related we've just started a graphic novel group actually. And then what's what is is the Hero Clicks tournaments related to that? It's a game that? as okay. well, but the there some of the, the Hero Clicks game uh, is based on comic figures actually. So right. there's a Marvel Clicks and a DC Clicks. Now, I notice here as well, uh, now this is something I know a little bit about because I've seen you guys on A Channel a few times over this one. That's Free Comic Book Day and Comic Shop Crossover Participant. Not sure what that one means, but I know about the Free Comic Book Day because your store is just, it's like Disney World on that day. It's very busy. Yeah. Uh, we have, you know, maybe 500 to 1,000 people walk through the store on that day to pick up a free comic book. It's a... Uh, Free Comic Book Day is a uh, North America-wide event where all stores on the same day participate. We buy certain comics that we give away, uh, and you can come and pick up a free comic book on that day. And that happens uh, when? The first Saturday in May every year. Oh, it's a Saturday. Okay, it's always a Saturday. First, first Saturday, Saturday in May. May. Okay, well, that's good to remember. Write that down on your calendars right now, folks. Free Comic Book Day. <laughs> I think we're a little far, far away from that one yet. And then I notice there's uh, World Worldwide D&D Day participant, free RPG day participant, and four city gamers clubs. That again is all in all the game the category stuff. and activity. Well, that's a pretty busy agenda you've got there. Well, listen, we want to get into our main story on Archie. We're going to break away for this quick clip from A Channel News, which was aired actually, I believe, three weeks ago today. And uh, it was about the breaking news that uh, Archie, is it Archie Andrews? Is that his last name? Yeah. Is getting married to well, we won't tell you. You'll have to listen to the clip. And uh, we'll be back right after this. So, are you a Betty or a Veronica? If you've ever asked yourself that question, chances are you grew up reading the popular Archie comic book series. Now the comic book world is, well, reeling with the news. Archie is finally going to make a choice in this love triangle that has lasted for decades. 
We sent our Celine Moreau to find out what the choice says about relationships and commitment. One's blonde and the girl next door, the other a high-maintenance brunette. Betty and Veronica have been fighting over Archie since the 1940s, and he has been trying to decide between the two ever since. I can relate more to Betty, but I kind of like Veronica, too. <laughs> so you're just as torn as Archie. Oh, I am. I don't know if I could decide. Keep them both. <laughs> but unfortunately, there comes a time when even comic book men have to choose. And after years of seeking advice from crystal balls, flipping coins, even lie detector tests, it appears Archie Andrews has decided to spend the rest of his life with vixen Veronica Lodge. Well, I'm a little surprised he didn't pick the blonde, because I would have. I picked a blonde. My wife is blonde, so... <laughs> And it seems most Archie fans, especially female ones, were also rooting for kind and loyal Betty. I vote for Red Betty for anyway, so, but uh, it should be interesting. I'd like to see if it actually, if he actually does pick one and if he, they stick with it. For over 60 years, Archie's been trying to choose between Betty and Veronica, who have patiently waited around. But now that he seems to be ready to make up his mind, could he end up with some commitment issues? The fact that he's committing to Veronica is not necessarily a permanent choice. So we've got a 40% divorce rate. Who knows what could happen to poor Archie. But those who have followed the love triangle for years are hoping divorce isn't the outcome, rather a happier ending. I think that maybe what they'll do is they'll move on and have children, and then the children will take over the title, so be son of Archie. Well one hurdle at a time. Issue 600 with Archie's marriage proposal will be released this August. In London, Celine Moreau, A News. This has become such a cultural phenomenon, especially uh, for certain generations, our Tara Overholt. Keeping tabs on this online, uh, Tara, what do our viewers think? Uh, did he make the right choice? Well, Dan, some of our viewers were just actually finally happy on a little lighter of a story today. Now, a quick poll with our live blog saw that most think he's making, get this, the wrong choice. Yes, 43% think Betty is the one for Archie. Now, as to why Archie chose the brunette, John on Facebook says, well, Veronica is the better looking of the two, and her father is also rich. So I guess Archie isn't so dumb after all, especially in this economy. Deb is just sad that the debate is over. Years and years of the chase and Suddenly the chase ends with some sort of result that we really don't want to know about. It's more fun with the chase. And you know what, Dan? I just can't believe that uh, Archie <laughs> got away with dating both of them for the last 60 years or so. He's rather You know what, as a guy, neither can I. Thanks a lot uh, for that, uh, Tiara. Right. Let's uh, bring in Jay with another look at our forecast. Uh, are we going to give the drains a, a break this evening? Well, I'm just thinking that maybe Betty could go with Jughead or something like <laughs> that. I don't know. Boy, everybody's got an opinion, even the weatherman on Archie, eh? We're in studio here with Gord Mood and Carol Vandenberg of L.A. Mood Comics and Games, which you can check out online at lamoodcomics.com or lamoodcomics.blogspot.com. Checked both of, them, both of them out yesterday. You can get to one from the other, actually. <laughs> and they're at 350 Richmond Street between King and York. Been there for a while. You can call the show, 519-661-3600, if you've got any comments on Archie or comic books in general. Gord, son of Archie, are you kidding me? <laughs> I was joking. You were I, wasn't, joking? I wasn't really serious about that. I mean, uh, 
It, it seems like something Marvel would do more than <laughs> Archie. Um, cause well, isn't there all? I, th- I thought there was a comic book already called Son of Archie. Or am I mistaken? Oh, no, Little Archie. Oh, Little Archie. Okay. It's sort of a that was a version. It was <laughs> a prequel. That was a prequel to the Archie Archie. Yeah. Well, I thought you were making a bigger statement there when you said Son of Archie, because to me that almost implied that the new married Archie is not going to work. Like, you almost dismissed it already, and, y- you know, you got to have another Archie separate. And I kind of agree with that in a way. Um, what's your take on that, Carol? Because, uh, you know, well, I, I you think it's going to, sur- like, I remember talking to you, and I says, well, how many people are reading Archie? And you almost intimated that n- almost nobody. <laughs> well, <laughs> our, our customer base, it's mm-hmm. very little. Uh, obviously, we have a higher uh, male customer base, and it's the little girls who are generally read Archie, and they usually buy their comics at the newsstand or at the grocery store. And actually, as a matter of fact, my neighbor said, oh, my daughter, she's so excited about the new Archie getting married, and we were looking all over for uh, for that issue, and I had to tell her, oh, it's actually not out yet. It doesn't come out till August, and it, uh, and despite all the hype, uh, he's not getting married in that first issue. He's just oh, he's proposing. Not. Oh, so we don't sakes. even know. Oh, this could, yeah. this could be a scam. It's a six-part sto- <laughs> six story, so oh. oh, we don't know the results yet. Okay, well, now that you answer, you, you actually answered my next question before I asked it. I was going to say, who, who would read Archie? Now, I, I read Archie when I was a kid. I mean, you always ran into it. By the way, Archie, the comic strip that was in the Daily Paper was originally written by a guy named Bob Montana. Mm-hmm. And um, I know when you guys were over the other day, you were probably freaked out when I pulled out that scrapbook and going, what has he been doing with his life? Because um, <laughs> when I was a kid, I used to collect comic strips, even from newspapers. And I had Prince Valiant and all those. I sold most of them. The only one that survived was the Archie scrapbook. And I still have it. All the dailies in there, the weeklies, and uh, you know, just tape them in. You're always careful how you taped them and numbered them and everything. And... Um, you know, those Bob Montana ones, I looked at them again this morning, they were funny. Mm-hmm. That strip was genuinely a funny comic strip, and that's what I think happens to a lot of strips. You know, an original um, writer or artist starts them off, and then they deteriorate or ex- expand so far that, that the impact becomes less and less, which I think happened to Marvel a bit. But um, now that you mention it's mostly girls who read read it, or if, if that's the demographic, that might explain a little more why the marriage scenario, would you think? Because girls would be more into that than guys. Guys would be more into the chase, maybe. Well, that, yeah, that's true. You know, I never <laughs> thought about it that way until you just said that now. That wasn't the way I was even going to go with this. Here and I was thinking it was just a marketing gimmick. But oh. <laughs> well, it could be that. Um, you know, I'm thinking, isn't Archie getting married like the, the, the kiss of death from a commercial point of view? Because... Um, you would think storytellers would know that most of the fun and the conflict is in the chase, right? Now, I notice here you've got this this com- comic of Archie here that you brought, lovely wrapped up. By the way, I can't touch these with my bare hands, but um, and I wouldn't want to. This one here is a 10-cent copy, and it's number 122. You've got it carefully wrapped, and it's got Archie in the front hooked up to a liar, lie detector with Betty and Veronica on each side of him, and and, and uh, Veronica going, all right, Archie, which one of us do you love? Okay, so this has been going on for a while, hasn't it? Yeah, a few years. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, once you take away that scenario, to me, that was what Archie was. That's the identity of Archie to me, like that whole 
Sure, but it has to lead somewhere, and there oh, has yeah, to like be... Oh, yeah, like it led anywhere for the last 30 well, years. Well, <laughs> exactly, but, you know, as soon mm. as they've put out this press, re- press release that Arch- Archie's picked someone, it's in the news, it's on the thing, uh, you know, on TV, and now everybody wants to know. And we've had lots of discussions about it at the store, too. Did a, We did an informal poll asking everybody, what, who do they pick, Betty or Veronica? And, and the guys were pretty much, uh, you know, at, at first it was Veronica all the way, and then Betty... Then it was Betty, but uh, you know. Well, you know, you just—I'm glad you reminded me of that. I've got this clip from the National Post, believe it or not. And one, two, three, four, five, six—no less than six of the major uh, commentators uh, touched in on this issue. Uh, Marnie Supkoff says Archie proposed to Veronica. Poor Betty, has he made the right choice? To which Daniel Goldblum replies, he'll never go through with it. Ah, that's just because of, ah, I see why he's saying that. Betty will be there at the altar. Archie won't be able to make up his mind. Jughead will be all like, more for me. <laughs> and Betty and Veronica will both be like, gross. <laughs> Seriously, I'll bet anyone who wants to, to do that, that they'll not get married. Or if they do, that it'll be quickly annulled. And then Yanni Goldstein comes in and says, I'll take that bet, Dan. Everyone I know thought Archie would choose Betty. The reason? She's so much nicer. Funny point, because I asked a couple friends of mine. I was shocked when I, when I first heard it. I don't know why it even bothered me or even affected me at all. I haven't read the darn things in years and years, right? And I'm going, well, that's, there's something wrong about this. You know, Archie getting married. And, um, and then when he picks Veronica over Betty, I'm going, that even makes it more strange. And I talked to a couple of friends who, who looked at me and said, you know, why are you surprised? Archie always liked Veronica better, and it was always Betty that was chasing him. And I'm going, well, yeah, that is kind of the scenario, isn't it, a little bit? Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, uh, David Asper says, uh, do they have a prenup? <laughs> Veronica will dump Archie in due course, and he'll take his small fortune and marry Betty. Oh, there is a, there is a, yeah, right, and Archie. And uh, Colby Kosh goes, oh, please, as if Old Man Lodge is going to let this happen, out an airtight, out of an airtight prenup. This is all just a scam for Archie to extract the inevitable. Here's a number with five zeros. <laughs> what say you disappear quietly? Check anyway. <laughs> and then Michael Boland concludes: Colby's probably right about the impending buyout. But what does everyone have against Veronica anyway? Gentlemen may prefer blondes, but study after study proves that most men prefer br- brunettes come marrying time. Or is it just because she's rich? You would think that as a as good capitalists, uh, we wouldn't hold it against her. Uh, are we good capitalists? I don't know, but I don't think that's the reason everybody holds it against her. Uh, the outcry against Archie's choice seems to illustrate the same populist anti-wealth sentiment we've seen on public display <laughs> these past few months. But come on, Veronica is no Bernie Madoff. Give the girl some slack. So there you go. That was just a sampling. They even made the Week in Review, Archie. I don't know if you saw oh, that yeah. there in the comics there. So, you know... I noticed too, Gord, you've got a couple of more up-to-date Archie publications there that I'm unaware of. Well, <coughs> yeah, there's uh, the Digest version. Um, see, oh I, thi- I think what they want to do is uh, kind of branch out the number of titles. And I think it's possible that they'll have a Archie in the future and an Archie in the present day. So the the uh, Archie getting married will be, I what if Archie married and what if what's the future of Archie like? You know, I, every time you give me one of these, I'm stunned by the quality of them. They're mm. like the color and the vibrancy of them. They're just not like comic books that I remembered. And this whole format is different, that digest. So now this is a more up-to-date Archie. Now this one here, these aren't related, are they? Are these from the yep. same series? Yeah. So this is, this is number one. 597 to that 122? Yep. 
Wow, now you can really see the difference. Too bad this wasn't uh, on television, but certainly the new ones, again, that same... Now this still feels, this is almost like a little bit more like uh, newsprint. Well, it's a little better color. quality But, but a higher quality yeah. newsprint, yes. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you see that with uh, some of the better ads. As well as the inking process is probably better, too. Like those, and, old, art, uh, uh, those old comics, the inks were so heavy and oily. And Archie, uh, Amer Americana series. Yeah, it's reprints from the 50s. Ah. Now, these are the kind of things, the, the strips I got familiar with. Now, these were very different from what Bob Montana had in the comic strips, the, the kind of stuff that they actually put in the comic books. Um, certainly, the comic strips were uh, more aimed at an adult audience. I think the, the comic books were more at a broader audience, would you think? Or I yeah, I think so, yeah. 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 I think in that time period, sure. for sure. Okay, well, let's break away. We're going to take, we want to... Um, on the other side, we're going to talk about more comic books in, in general, and um, we're going to be breaking away shortly, but I wanted to say that on the other side of our upcoming break, and we're going to have a little smile first, and some announcement, but you'll be hearing uh, an audio excerpt from the documentary, Look Up in the Sky, The Amazing Story of Superman, which I happened to catch on TV back in about 2007. And it was a truly comprehensive documentary, and uh, it runs about two hours. I just took about seven minutes out of it that you'll be hearing um, some talk about the original Superman and how the DC comic Comics group got started. Now, pay particular attention to the political, economic, philosophical, and social environment into which Superman was born, because each seems to be a critical factor in Superman's evolution, and certainly uh, symbolic of what Superman eventually came to mean to the mass public. Really interesting uh, clip. But on this side of the break, here's comic Adam Ferreira and what could be, I think, a preview of uh, future issues of life with Archie should he get married. And with that, we'll see you again on the other side of this break. We get along now, we do. We play this new game around the house called Does This Belong Here? That's a lot of fun. <laughs> The game starts and I'm just about to fall asleep. That's when she'll hold something up. Does this belong here? No, you win. Oh, they don't like it when you rest. There's something about a sleeping man just drives women nuts. I don't know what it is, but they go crazy, man. Look at them just laying there. He should be doing something. <laughs> or at least answering one of my inane questions. According to the comic books, Superman began life as Baby Kal-El born on the distant planet of Krypton. But Superman was actually conceived in the imaginations of two teenage boys from Cleveland, Ohio, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, both the sons of Jewish immigrants. When they met at Glenville High School in 1931, the two teenagers were shy loners with a shared interest in adventure stories, science fiction pulp magazines, and comic strips. Jerry wrote articles for his school newspaper. Joe was an artist who enjoyed illustrating Jerry's work. 
a powerful partnership was forged. When they were about 16 years old, they just connected and came up with this idea. Jerry would write stories, Joe would draw them, and they would try to make it as comic strip guys. Comic artists at the time were celebrities and millionaires. But Jerry and Joe's dreams of fame and fortune collided with the economic despair and political uncertainty of the Great Depression. A time when Americans questioned whether their way of life could even survive. In 1932, Jerry and Joe created a mail-order periodical they called Science Fiction. It was uh, just a little mimeographed periodical, about eight or ten pages, and inside it was a story called Reign of the Superman. Appearing in January of 1933, the Reign of the Superman told the story of a bald madman who tries to use his telepathic abilities to conquer the world. The character's name came from a word coined by German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche some 50 years earlier. But a few months after the story was published, Jerry Siegel began to rethink the concept. What if the Superman he and Joe had created was a force for good instead of evil? And instead of telepathic abilities, what if his powers were physical, just like Hercules, Samson, and all of the other legendary strong men they had read about and tried to emulate? And wouldn't this character be perfect to star in a daily newspaper comic strip? They did it in a night in Cleveland. They kept running back and forth to each other's houses on this hot night in Cleveland, neither of them could sleep. And Joe Schuster would draw pictures as Jerry came up with ideas. Over the next few weeks, Jerry and Joe continued to refine their concept. They made Superman a refugee from a distant planet, clothed him in the muscle-defining outfit of a circus acrobat, and gave him a secret identity as a mild-mannered newspaper reporter named Clark Kent. Superman had the dual identity, you know, Zorro had had it, the Scarlet Pimpernel had it, and it was important to the whole Superman mythos. Him working as a newspaper reporter so that he could know what was going on and where his abilities were needed. Drawing from both pop culture and myth, Jerry and Joe created something original, even visionary. And every major newspaper editor and publisher wasted no time in rejecting it. The editors mostly said things like it looks too juvenile. Who wants to read about this guy in tights and a cape who's jumping around like a flea and bouncing bullets off his chest? By 1935, Jerry and Joe managed to find steady work in the new medium of comic books, which expanded on many of the characters and situations found in the shorter daily newspaper strips. They churned out hundreds of routine tales featuring swashbucklers, vampire hunters, and private eyes. All for a fledgling company called National Allied Publishing, later to be known simply as DC, after one of its early successes, Detective Comics. By 1938, DC was preparing a new anthology comic book that needed a lead feature. Fortunately for Jerry and Joe, the company decided to take a chance on Superman. That spring, Action Comics number one hit the newsstands. It featured a full color cover, 
boasted 68 pages of content and sold for a dime at a time when the average American worker made less than $25 a week. In that first issue, Superman didn't fly. Instead, he leaped from skyscraper to skyscraper. He was also not as strong as he would later become. But what he lacked in powers, he more than made up for in attitude, tackling problems ripped from Depression-era headlines. At that point, 1938, we're a nation on the verge of war. We are a nation that is new to this whole concept of urbanization and of urban crime. And Superman was originally created as a social crusader. He was beating up mine owners who were mistreating their employees. He was raising defective uh, buildings in Metropolis that were threatening people. Action Comics was a success. And over the next year, Superman developed a large and loyal following. But as much as he resonated with the public, so did his alter ego, the timid reporter, Clark Kent. It's not their Ubermensch. It's not the Germanic idea of the Superman, the superior man of Nietzsche. This is the greatness of the meek, the mild. Superman established the idea of somebody who seems to be a meek, ordinary, average person and is really a superhero and it was a formula that virtually every superhero owes a debt to even today in january 1939 superman made the leap from comic book to newspaper comic strip and soon 20 million americans thrilled to his adventures every day that summer dc took an even bolder marketing strategy with the character by featuring their superhero in his very own comic book Superman became so popular that they said, you know what, why don't we create a comic book just about that character, which back then was very unusual. Superman number one sold more than a million copies. And by the end of the year, the Man of Steel was everywhere. He was at the New York World's Fair, played by actor Ray Middleton. And he was at the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, impersonated by a balloon now seen as a symbol of hope to a struggling nation superman was bigger and more powerful than even his creators could have imagined and welcome back that was from look up in the sky the amazing story of superman a documentary that was aired a couple years ago on i think the space channel 519-661-3600 the number to call if you want to talk about anything to do with superman archie or any of the other issues we've been talking about and i am joined in studio by gordon mood and carol vandenberg of la mood comics and games and they sell all this stuff superman stuff and uh, some interesting things um just listening to that clip was like uh, you suddenly realize the social impact of comic books and, and, and how an effect they've had on our culture, in our history. And um, it's funny, uh, the first thing I note is that the really famous comic books got their start in the newspapers, really, didn't they? Yeah. Would you say? Is that the case today anymore? That's not really how they can start anymore, is it? I don't really see that many <laughs> strips in the free press or any of those in the newspapers that I would say would be worthy of you know, putting on a serial or a comic book. Am I missing that point? or No, I think the strip is dead. The it's strip uh, is dead? Pretty much. I, I mean, newspapers are are pretty much uh, not the number one media anymore. I think well, that Does that make the strip dead, though, or just the newspapers well, actually, as a... Actually, now there's a lot of online comic strip. Yeah. Online comic strips. Oh. 
That's yeah. what I was thinking. And right. So, so it's the medium itself at that time was what was bringing forth the strip. But I, 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 I don't think it's quite the same with the, the online stuff is still closer to the format of a comic book rather than a strip because a strip tends to be a, a serial, a short serial uh, that's done on a uh, frequent basis. Yeah. Right. So, uh, anyways, I, I think that the uh, the comic book uh, aspect of representing sequential art has taken over that, uh, so that the strip is no longer really the important aspect of of presenting sequential art. It's it's the book format that's important. Oh sure. Um, again, but that I guess it was back at that time too, since they sold a million copies of Superman. First right. Time the, it was put the in strip the book was format. important, and uh, then it gave way to this format, which is the the the, uh, the periodical, and the periodical has given way to this format, which is the book format. Oh, so, uh, it, 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 over time, even that has evolved, so that now this this format is becoming the dominant uh, type. Uh, in the market. Oh, that's interesting. It certainly says that print is far from dead in, well, in terms of, you know, because this is an art, isn't it, really? We'll right. We'll talk it's a bit more about that later, but... Right. Um, sure. So print is still very heavy. Of course, that's what you, you sell as, as hard copy in the store, basically, right? How would an artist who's just doing comic strips online, do, do they have to get subscribers? Do people give him money, do donation? Does he sell them any way he can do it? You know what? I don't know. No. Actually, well, there's no standard format. You can uh. just do whatever you want. You can put up what you like and then have people follow you, or you can uh, be hired by a company to do it. So there's all kinds of different ways to do it. Because Dark Horse uh. Comics actually present, uh, re, re uh, prints online comic books in a in a comic called Dark Horse Presents or my no what's my, it? Dark oh, Horse MySpace. My, Dark no, Horse MySpace. You guys, you guys gave me actually. I remember a couple of years ago, you gave me a little gift w that was printed by Dark Horse Comics, and that was the Serenity set, the three issues uh, based on the Firefly series, which is of course one of my favorite shows, and you guys knew that. And I've talked about Firefly on this show before, but that's interesting. Where you'd get, I know there's a lot of comic books that are not the precursor to the show but the follower of the show so to speak the show comes out first how many how many of those things are there is that a just a rare thing or uh happens a lot well they've always been doing comic book adaptations to movies i mean they did star wars and indiana jones back in the 80s and uh before that they've probably done others i can't think of think them off the top that was after the movie but after the movie yeah. they came out uh, um, classics illustrated right so they did classic books yeah. too so classics illustrated you shouldn't have said that um <laughs> Whatever happened to them? They don't print them anymore, do they? Well, they do. Uh, they're reprinting some of the old material. Uh, there's a company that's uh, current that uh, is reprinting some of the older material. And so it, it's still available. You mm -hmm. can still get it. And so. now Marvel is trying to do their their bit for for re, uh, reprinting classics. They're doing a Pride and Prejudice uh, no, right I now, and uh, Moby Dick, <laughs> and uh, those wonder, types of things. I wonder how many high school book reports were done on <laughs> on Classics <laughs> Illustrated. I can think of a few I wrote, um, <laughs> but we won't talk about that. Um, I, I you know we talk about artists and the people who um, brought comic books to us. I know um, Steve Ditko was was one of the artists that of course influenced me in terms of uh, early Spider-Man. I was surprised because in the collection I've got of a book 
the Marvel Visionaries. I know I, I forgot Steve Ditko did the art not just for Spider-Man, but things like Incredible Hulk, Doctor Strange, Iron Man, Daredevil, a whole series of um, comics that are still big today, most of them, aren't they, would you say? And, uh, of course, he was uh, very influenced by Ayn Rand in his early days, even invented some characters based on her, including Mr. A, which um, was... Uh, uh, his own side thing that he did on a philosophic basis but certainly that philosophy came through in a lot of the comic books and um, I'm wondering do your customers or the people in your store or the readers is there a debate in in the comic book world in terms of uh, you know the same kind of things we do in real life left and right issues uh, which uh, are there heroes you might consider on the left or on the right of the political spectrum, social spectrum? I noticed here when they were talking about Superman, it sounded like he was a real lefty at the beginning, you know, being the social crusader, going after the mining companies and the landlords and stuff like that. Actually, that's kind of funny because really it's the debate between DC and Marvel. Are you a DC fan or are you a Marvel fan? And people will say, oh, I'm a Marvel fan because, uh, you know, those heroes are flawed. They, they seem more like real people. And then people will say, well, I'm a DC fan, but or they don't like DC because oh, he's too perfect. He's got too high a standard, and they don't like him for that. So, in in, in there's a debate that way. Um, but that's an interesting point because when when I was a collector, I was a real Marvel fan. Okay, I would have been in that first category you mentioned, but um, I didn't dismiss all of DC. I remember there were some I liked, but. Really, you know, I never really was interested in Superman early on. I just found he was just one of those two-dimensional characters, yeah. okay, and especially in the comic books. Um, I remember when Spider-Man came out in Fantastic Four. And by the way, guys, I used to have all those collections <laughs> right down. The only issue I never owned was Fantastic Four number one. I had number two up, and um, that was it. That's the only Marvel comic I never owned. I had a whole Spider-Man collection, um, Amazing Fantasy number 15, the whole deal. But, uh, you know, over time, when you're dealing with, uh, as I was collecting with comic books, and I had to get out of it, and I wish I could still do it today, because I just don't have the, uh, the income anymore that I used to at the time. But um, when I look at artists like Steve Ditko, and is he still around today? I know he's still writing stuff, but is, is he still in the comics, doing artwork? I think you could call him semi-retired. He, do he does uh, stuff infrequently. But he's it, still around. I've read essays of his online, and he's still yeah. writing and, and, and being kind of politically active in a strange sort of way. Yeah. And I noticed that uh, he was he's he's been a long time um, opponent of you know all the nonsense about violence in the media, and he always talks about violence being the phony issue because of course comic books deal with violent situations, and there's a lot of that. Are there censorship problems? Because I mean, we still have um, you know crime comics are still in the in the criminal code. Uh, comics have been under fire for certain of their comments and underground. Do you deal in much of that? Is that much of a market? Uh, there's not really much of a controversy about comic books uh, like there is video games now. So it's yeah. kind of transferred to uh, to to gaming. Um, of course, there's problems with uh, some of the material that comes from Japan uh, because. Uh, the standards in Japan are are different than in uh, North America. So what they publish is stuff that wouldn't even be considered in many North American. Uh, from a censorship point of view, you mean, or from a cultural point of view? Uh, I think cultural, editorial, hmm. um, political point of view. So 
I think all three of those factors. Is are there a market for them in North America? In the same there way? is a market. Uh, it's not like the Japanese market, but uh, that's all I can say. There is a market, but uh, we don't really uh, sell that kind of material because it is hard to get into Canada because of those factors. So Understood. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about... Uh, is it art or is it just commercialism? We're going to get a little bit into that issue. And we'll be back right after this quick break. Doing a little past life regression? Let me guess, you used to be a hitman for Genghis Khan. I underestimated your tracking skills, Spider-Man. You underestimated 21st century technology. I match frequencies with your cell phone. A woman in your position, Lotus, I believe, should be more careful. You mistake me for someone who cares about dying. And you don't? The only thing that matters to me is honor. Ah, as in, it would be an honor to kill you, Spider-Man. Exactly. Worthy adversaries are so hard to find in this city. Great. You like me. You really like me. Now let's move on. Play darts? Uh, not professionally, you know, only in bars. I don't know, maybe I should just sign one of those exclusive deals like you guys. Your new book seems to be selling like mad. Yeah, well, it all goes back to something my grandmother told me when I was a kid. Holden, she said, the big bucks are in dick and fart jokes. She was a churchgoer. Oh, the cry from the heart of a real artist trapped in commercial hell, pitying his good fortune. I'm sure you can dry your eyes on all those fat chicks you rake in. Oh, I'm sorry, what was that? Did, did I detect a note of bitter envy in there? No, I'm happy my stuff gets read at all. There's very little market for hearts and flowers in the spandex-clad, big pecs, big tits, big guns field. If I saw two issues, I feel like John Grisham. Well, it's all about marketing. Over or underweight guys that don't get laid. They're our bread and butter. People like those two outside should be yours. And sadly, there are more of our core audience. That was a note take from the movie Chasing Amy, if you've never seen that movie. It's a great movie. I would warn you, though, the language is, shall we say, salty. And I sure had to do a lot of editing to even be able to put some of these clips on the air. But uh, interesting, there's a lot of genre movies about other industries, like the comic book industry, uh, and, and you, you get a whole different feel of what life is like for a lot of the artists. But obviously there's a big um, debate over uh, whether comic books are considered serious art or whether they're considered just commercialism for a juvenile market kind of thing. Um, you guys must be aware of some kind of debate like that. I know, Gord, you've been thinking about that. Well, of course, it's always an ongoing debate, but, you know, it is both. It's so It's both commercial both. and art. Okay. Well, yeah, it's that it, that's, that's inevitable when you, you have uh, competing interests. One interest is the artist who wants to uh, be true to his art and only uh, present what he's created in the most honest and raw way. And then you have the companies that are uh, there to provide a product for customers uh, at, at the cheapest, uh, most basic rate. So 
you have those two conflicting interests and sometimes they can come together and and work in a perfect unit uh, as a perfect unit so it's possible to have both uh, but it doesn't always happen and uh, the better companies that, that do that are like Dark Horse uh, I think can and, and does demonstrate it, that it can be done uh, Fanographics. Meaning what, they give the artist a lot of freedom, let's say, or does it mean... Yeah, they basically they just produce what the artist... Uh, well, there there is some sort of uh, standard that Dark Horse has. Is they have a, uh, a statement, an editorial statement about what their products have to be and what they want. And then if the artist lives within that parameter, then he's okay, free yeah. to do what he wants. It's almost... You could almost argue, you know, and it's always been an ongoing debate because... You know, art is that which uh, you, you hear that in a show like Yes Minister a lot. That's what the public won't pay for, but the government has to pay for it so that the public will appreciate it. Whereas the stuff that people are buying on their own, for some reason, even though it's artistic-based, isn't considered art. Now, I would agree with you that um, comic books are certainly art and commercialism, um, but I don't think they have to be two separate things either. I mean, to me, would, would it not almost be able to say that the more commercial something is, the better the art is, or is it not really? No, not at all? necessarily. No. I mean, um, not more commercial. Sorry, more popular. Well, well I wouldn't do it either. No, I'm I'm, I'm eating my own words as I say them. <laughs> what Humphrey said was correct. It's also true in the comic book world. Uh, for instance, Marvel is probably the most Humphrey in the, as a character in Yes Minister. Yeah, mean, when yeah. he said that the public uh, won't pay for art, mm -hmm. uh, that's partially true. I mean, Dark Horse uh, market share is about ten percent. And Marvel's is about 40%. Uh, and Marvel is uh, largely more interested in the commercial aspect than the artistic aspect. Because um, Marvel uh, wants to, um, you know, they want to have properties that, that uh, will be produced into movies, and then the movies will produce the bottom line for Marvel, not so much the comic books anymore. Mm hmm. So they've moved. They've they've their philosophy is to uh, to now um, use the the properties that they have for for movies and for other commercial aspects. Now, I was wondering in terms of the artists, who are the big names these days? I know when I was collecting comic books, there was Steve Ditko, Neil Adams over at DC, who I liked a lot, um, Jim Steranko, who I liked in some of his. Uh, really different art style with, uh, I think he did a show called, or a show, see, uh, a comic book, um, Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. or something like that. And there was John Romita and Jack Kirby, of course, who was well known for his work on Fantastic Four and stuff like that. Who are the big names today? Well, there's quite a few, but uh, Alex yeah. Ross is, is, of course, one. He and he draws which? Uh, well, he, he did cap that cover. Oh, right there. The, yeah. Captain, Captain America here. Yeah. And he just did the cover or the interior as well? I, he he, he tends to do paintings, so he, oh. a lot of his stuff is done for cover well, work. Well, it looks it looks like a, you know that reminds me. Um, there was a brand out. Um, I imagine it doesn't exist anymore. Is it Gold Key Comics? No, they remember Gold Key. Yeah. Remember they had the worst art inside, and the most beautiful covers covers that were paintings. You almost yeah. bought them just for that. Exactly. You know, and. Um, now they seem. Now this has a beautiful painting on the front with this Captain America. I look inside, and that rivals it right there. Right? Is that a different artist? Yes. Yeah. Wow. But but Alex Ross has done whole books that are all painted too for DC and oh for Marvel. Man, that's, that's just so. it's stunning. So um, besides him, who like people would come in and ask for what other kind of well, artist? Jim Lee. 
uh, Stuart Immonen, who used to live in London or does live in London, I'm not sure. <laughs> um, well, there's there's all kinds of different artists. Uh, there's like uh, Seth. Um, you know, yeah. there, there's uh, there's high art and low art. Uh, so it depends what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I mean, uh, and the genre too, I guess that you're that you're looking for. Are superheroes still the biggie? I would think pretty they much. Are, but that might be wrong. Bread and butter. Yeah, because it, I I would have guessed that right off the bat just because of looking at Hollywood, you know, like what's going on in um, in the big movie blockbusters. I found it interesting that um, you know I was felt like a bit of an outcast when I was a kid reading things like Spider-Man and Fantastic Four because nobody'd heard of them and stuff. And sure enough, as I'm an adult, what happens? Spider-Man comes out, breaks every movie record in history at its time, <laughs> and um, it's just amazing that those things that were considered so far out would you say you know back in when comic books got started and so removed from day-to-day -day reality are now uh, part of our whole whole culture really aren't they yeah and uh, well you know uh, computers have helped um, so special effects uh, that they couldn't have done a few years ago and now is, well, is I know, pretty I'm argue with you on that I don't know if they've helped or hurt because <laughs> you know when you can do all the special effects you give them special effects and not so much story if you ask me <laughs> Well, if you're you're nodding. Oh what, what yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I agree. You agree? Yeah, a lot of the super, a lot of the superhero uh, co uh, comic book movies are just too much, too much special effects and not enough good story. You know, I have to tell you, as much as I enjoyed, say, the Spider-Man movie, the first one, I can't tell you I enjoyed it as much as I would, literally, reading a, a Spider-Man strip. And I think part of the reason is, um, when I read a comic book some of the things that happen in comic books you can't get away with in a lot of other media. For example, comic books have a lot of thought bubbles. Now, I mean, you can have an echo voice on a show to represent somebody thinking, but you couldn't do a whole show like that constantly, uh, except on the odd case. But, you know, comic books employ that method constantly. You could have two superheroes in the midst of a battle having the biggest philosophical discussion about right and wrong and who's on this side and why they're justified in doing this. Um, it just doesn't, you know, when they try to carry those literal things to the screen, it looks a little hokey, and yet it doesn't seem as hokey when it's in the comic books. Is it, is, am I relating to anything that you guys are familiar with? <laughs> I, I was actually thinking of the, uh, the Spider-Man uh, TV pilot that they did in the 1970s as oh, an example. That. Well, you want to talk Not about the cartoon? The a cartoon? There was no, a cartoon. it was actually a, like a, a live-action okay. TV show that was done in the seventies. Hey, it, and it, but it, it was probably the worst example of comic book to TV ever done. So, <laughs> it, had they had the special effects, they might have actually been able to concentrate a little bit more on the uh, the script. So I mean, you know, uh, you could yeah, you could okay. argue on the other hand. You put your effort and <laughs> where you have have your time. But you know, uh, did you know? I, I I just 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 hit hit my brain just now. Uh, you know the um, I don't know which version of the Spider-Man cartoons it was. The first one, um, I call it the first one. I, I did a clip just a little while ago from a Spider-Man cartoon, but that's not the one I'm talking about. And actually, I preferred that cartoon to the movie. But um, the voice of Spider-Man in those original cartoons, you know who that was? It's from from uh, London. From yeah, yeah. Uh, Zolf. Uh, no. no, close. So, uh, you got the right letter. It's Paul. Zed. Paul Souls. <laughs> Paul Souls from who okay. used to be over at Channel Ten. Right. Way back when, and he used to be. Um, I just thought it was funny when I found out that uh, actually he was the voice 
behind Spider-Man in the cartoons. Well, I can't believe it. We've got about one minute left here. Um, there's so many things I could have still talked about, including the nature of the art media. Anything you wanted to say before we left? Uh, no, nothing really. Well, I think we'll wrap it up there for this week, and um, we'll leave it there. And that's it for this week. Hope you enjoy the show, and join us again next week. Until then, be right, act right, do right, and stay right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. It's an entirely different world when there's a woman living in your house. I threw out my encyclopedias, because she knows everything. <laughs>